exactly. But just like the the stuff that Simon, anytime David Simon talks about the ethos or or like the thought process, it's, it's just so fascinating. I mean, him talking about you know how him wanting to show the failure of this all the systems and and that's why the what he said which I thought was so cool about season two was now we get to build a city. Now we expand it and show how everything is connected and all the pieces matter. <laughs> um, it's fucking awesome. All right. Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles. Back again, George and Dave. Uh, it's, uh, super exciting. I guess this is episode seven? No, this is episode 10. Episode 10. Lord of, Lord of mercy. Oh, no. It's time that- flies. Everything, everything is Groundhog's Day during quarantine. So, what is time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like uh, my fiance Hillary and I. We had this conversation a few weeks ago where she was like, "Time, time is a construct. It doesn't exist." And and I had like the defensive thing of being like, "Well, no, I need to like structure in this time." And and then like I thought I did that for a second. I was like, "Yeah, she's right. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> time isn't real." Uh, but anyway, um, that being said, hopefully we got a, a fun show for you today. We're going to be talking about heroes. We figured we talked enough about villains. We're going to talk about heroes and, uh, you know, in a few uh, different ways. I think that'll be fun. Different kinds of heroics. You didn't want to just limit it to sports heroics. So one of my heroes is a, is an actual hero. So I'm excited to talk about him because he's one of my favorite favorite athletes of all time, along with probably my favorite athlete of all time. Awesome. About, so. I am excited. What's on your bar, George? First off, let's just do like a little bit of housekeeping before I get started. If you're in states, uh, just make sure you register to vote. These are probably the last uh, few days in what some of these states are able to vote. Not really sure what states that you live in, listener, but definitely make sure you're registered to vote. The, the game is different this year, so make sure that you're out there. And uh, you're able, if you're able to vote, if you're able to vote by mail, that would be rad too. And if you're able to vote in person on that Tuesday, that would be great. Just make sure you're registered to vote and make sure you do vote. The last thing I want to uh, today is October 9th, I believe, when we're recording this podcast. And this is the two year anniversary of my album coming out. Uh, you know how, like, Facebook and Instagram, where it was like two years ago that this happened. I was like, oh, yeah. And I woke up today and saw that. I was like, I was going to talk about something interesting, but I should probably talk about that because that is kind of a neat thing. Because on that day, I had the number one comedy album in the country, which kind of rad. So, your good friend, which was, was the number one record in the country for a day or two. <laughs> I uh, I want to say con- con- uh, happy happy anniversary on that. I also want to say I wanted to do this a couple weeks ago, but I it couldn't fit it in. Everybody, right now, stop listening and buy George's album "Your Good Friend" on iTunes. Yeah, um, support the arts. Support your friends. Uh, if you think he's funny here, he's even funnier on his album. So yeah, your good friend iTunes. Yeah, it's kind of a neat thing to say because I had this whole elaborate thing I was going to talk about. I was like, eh, we'll do that next week. Anyway, the most important thing is to make sure you run your vote. What's in your bar? Since we are talking about heroes, I wanted to spend a little bit of time and talk about someone I think is a hero, someone who is a hero to me, and that is journalist Mehdi Hassan. You may or may not know him. He is a British Indian journalist, although he has lived in the States for, I think, the past five or ten years. You may know him from Al Jazeera English, as well as The Intercept. He has done things on BBC. He he does a lot of segments on Democracy Now! Mehdi worked for The Intercept for the last couple of years, producing a podcast called Deconstructed. I highly recommend everybody looking at that. If you want to be informed, he is one of the most informed people. He also has amazing guests. He has people like Ilhan Omar, people like Cornel West. He had all the candidates in the Democratic primary, and he's very good at holding people accountable. He doesn't let people off the hook. He's had certain clips that gone gone viral with interviews. He had one with Tom Steyer from months back, who was a billionaire who ran for president. Democrat, but he's a philanthropist and his thing is all about environmentalism. And But Mehdi was like, but you've spent 500 million on this campaign and you have zero chance. You've been polling at literally 001%. Couldn't that money have been better spent on Senate campaigns or, you know, other legislature for environmental impact? And Sire is just like, well, we we think that we can, we have a chance. We're, we're trying to win. And he's like, you're polling at 0.01%. 
you have no chance. <laughs> but he's honest, is my point. He's super honest. And the reason why I want to give him a plug is because he has a new show, a daily show called The Mehdi Hassan Show, which is actually on Peacock, which is like the new weird streaming thing from NBC. And generally with journalism, for me personally, I look to outlets that aren't paid by corporate interests, that do not have financial backing from companies. I mean, that is something that all the major networks do, that they rely on those advertising dollars, and that influences everything they do. It influences what they talk about. It influences how they talk about. Case in point, the vice presidential debates, which we saw this week, it's about the questions they ask and about why they don't ask those questions. We saw in this debate and the last one, they're asking now the perfunctory like one question about climate change, essentially, and they almost never ask questions about climate change. And the reason that is, is because they they take money from oil producers. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not rocket science. But anyway, Mehdi has this new show on NBC, on Peacock, which I, I'll give them credit because he's presenting, you know, he's had a lot of, a lot of different people on already. He's had Barbara Lee, Mark Ruffalo, who gave a great interview, Liz Warren, Noam Chomsky, Julian Castro, who he, you know, was asking him again, he someone who asked hard questions. He asked him to stand up for being part of the Obama administration as far as uh, his deportation numbers, because Julian Castro is someone who is trying to fight the immigration fight that we need to have in this country. And he's doing a good job at that, but Mehdi also wanted him to answer for that. And that's you know what we need. I just want to give him a plug. I think that people are always looking for reliable news sources and sources that don't... He had, like he even says... It's not about, you know, this unbalanced, this unbiased, this, this neutral thing. It's like, no, it's not neutral. It needs to be biased towards the facts. <laughs> you know what I mean? It needs to be about the facts. And that's so much of the, the news media that goes on is not about that. And, you know, just to be better informed is always a good thing. He also does a really good job of providing historical context for what he talks about. The guests, they almost all immediately are like, thank you for doing such a great job of setting up this, this, my life's work or whatever. You know what I mean? He's, he's very good engaging, but that's what I want to plug. Mehdi, the Mehdi Hassan show, Peacock is free. I mean, you know, we'll see what it, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not plugging that entity peacock whatever like i said they are one of those major major outlets but so far he's been saying the things he's wanted to say i mean he had mark ruffalo on they talked about israel being an apartheid state so <laughs> so yeah so he's saying what he wants to say which is uh, something i uh, appreciate all right yeah we'll move into it we're doing the who and the what and the what and the who and who's in the what's and what's in the who i i think that like some that should be the name of the segment <laughs> Yeah, do that. just Actually, all of that together yeah just whatever that is it could change every time too. we're talking about heroes and we're talking about playoff heroes we're talking about people that have excelled in the toughest moments there are some who are the big names who are the big playoff performers your lebron james's your michael jordan's and whatnot and then there are those people that they had that one moment right so i think we're going to be providing a good a good mix of that comparing them to heroes in movies and TV. And yeah, George, you want to start? Yeah, yeah, I'll start off with, the, I guess, one of my favorite moments in in sports history. And uh, I'm going to start off with Kirk Gibson. And uh, Kirk Gibson, who hit, who actually had one plate appearance in the 1988 World Series. Forget what the injuries he had. He had a shoulder and a knee injury. There's a reason why I only saw one at bat in that World Series hit the game-winning home run in game one off of Dennis Eckersley in the Oakland A's we played for the Dodgers. All in up the last championship, the Dodgers. Yeah, he had that great arm because he couldn't move the other arm. <laughs> uh, and apparently he was able to hit that ball from basically golf swing it and hit it one hand because he couldn't move the other arm. He's on one leg and shit. Yeah, it, was, like, it was insane. Yeah, Again, that was the only plate appearance that he had in that World Series. People forget about that. They won That's that Series 4-1. to one. What people often have forgotten is like he had already done that before. In the 1985 World Series, like when he was on the Detroit Tigers against, forget who it was. Anyway, he hit a home run off of a future Hall of Famer and uh, Goose Gossage to win that game and go on to win that series. So... Kirk Gibson will never be a Hall of Famer, but he's got two great moments in sports. And uh, the 88 World Series is, is incredible. And then the, the author forgot 84 World Series, the Detroit Tigers. 
my comp for him is Lucas Jackson. And who is Lucas Jackson? Lucas Jackson is the full name of Paul Newman's character from Cool Hand Luke. (laughs) (laughs) The second week, Paul Newman got a reference. The free spirit who just could not be broken by the guards and the, the warden and this penitentiary in Georgia. And people will tell his stories from the end of time, just like Kirk Gibson's two home runs and two different World Series win a game. So Lucas Jackson is, uh, is Kirk Gibson, his character in Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke. I like that. That's definitely a Kirk Gibson. That's one of the great all time moments in sports history. I mean, he. He hits that home run and he limps around the bases. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm, the only thing missing is the, is the music from The Natural. It was basically yeah. like a real life natural it, scene. It was. I mean, that, yeah, it's like a movie. You can't write it. And I did not know that that, or have had forgotten that that was his only plate appearance. The only time he saw the plate. That's awesome. It was crazy. It's like, uh, I don't remember anything else from that series. Nobody does. Except for that. Nobody does. No, I just remember. I mean, you know, I was very young, but. That's the only highlight they show, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. even glossed. They won that series, you said 4 1, right? 4 like, 1, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't even that great of a series, probably. But no, it wasn't. And I think the A's were supposed to beat the dog shit out of them. I think they were. Yeah. Well, because, bad. yeah. Well, that the very next year was the earthquake series. With the earthquake series, yeah. Which Oakland won against San Francisco. Awesome. Yeah. That mo- that's, yeah, with the fucking arm and shit. Like, yeah, you can, I can, you know, I can, it's one of those ones I can see yeah. every frame of it in my head, but you just have to mention Kirk Gibson and I'm there. All right. Well, I'm going to go to my first one and I'm going to go with Dwayne Wade, D Wade, Chicago native D Wade. Um, just uh, always have to shout that out. Even though all the Chicago people listening need me to say this, he's from Dalton. So he's from technically the suburbs. <laughs> so we have to, as people that, we're born in the city. We have to say that. But uh, one of the things about D Wade, as far as the playoffs go, is longevity. This guy was in the playoffs his whole career, mostly with the Miami Heat, except for the one year with the Bulls that they made the playoffs. A lot of times he's kind of been the second guy, but I would argue has made the most impact. And talking about specifically 2006, his first championship, that was Shaq's first year with the Heat. You know, it was a big trade. Shaq went over. Shaq's introductory press conference was amazing. First of all, it was outside in Miami and there's like, he's like on turntables or some shit came out. So people, it was awesome. Uh, But the great thing about that is Shaq was, you know, it was at the ending of his career, but that first year with Miami was probably his last dominant year or like somewhat dominant year. He was still very good. But that press conference, he said, this is D Wade's team and this is my job to win this man a ring and to support this guy and get this guy a ring, which he was still, Shaq was still in a, still a star. And it was kind of unheard of. I mean, I remember watching it and being like, that's fucking awesome because Dwayne Wade was a good young player, but he wasn't a guy necessarily that a lot of people were like, that guy's a top, going to be a top five guy in the NBA. That guy's going to win multiple championships. It's like, that guy's a good player. But one of the reasons why Shaq believed in him is because he's always good in the postseason and he was great in the ncaa tournament in march madness at marquette his final year i believe he was a junior i believe he came out after his junior year yeah, but, they, they beat kentucky in the second round yeah and he came out he you know marquette was not really looked at and he he kind of burst on the scene i remember him rising up the draft boards because the bulls had the number seven pick and people were like oh we're gonna we're gonna draft d wade and everybody was fucking thrilled and of course he had that amazing tournament and he got picked five by the Heat, by Pat Riley, which was a smart move. Again, in 2006, he led them to a championship. And in that series, he was, again, Shaq was very good. Shaq was very good in that series. But that was a series that, just as a side note, is very interesting. It's part of the plot line of Whistleblower because it's a series that a lot of people have questions about as far as how it was officiated one of those main people questioning it being mark cuban the owner of the dallas mavericks (laughs) but uh yeah the last whistleblower went into that very interesting they lost the first two games of that series to dallas and everybody looked like they were you know it was dallas's championship to lose and they were going to win and the next four games d wade scored 42 36 43 36 all while having six assists, six boards, and two steals average a game. 
and he won them that championship. Shaq was great, but D. Wade was on another level that propelled him into the stratosphere later on when he went on to win championships with LeBron. Just want to give a very quick, I didn't choose LeBron. I don't think you did either for this, but you do have to look at his playoff record and say that it's pretty goddamn good. I mean, making whatever it was, nine straight finals or whatever, regardless of the Eastern Conference not being that great, that's insane. And and also his number, and he's going to win another one. And he's, you know, always been the one or the one A player. But in that first championship that he won with D. Wade, D. Wade had an amazing series. And they don't win unless D. Wade had as great of a series that he had. And there were definitely moments where in that series, D. Wade was the best player on the court. So I would say that D. Wade is someone who is kind of considered to be a second, but he's really a first. He's really a lead. And he could lead a lot of teams. So that is why the comparison I have for him, as far as heroes go, he is Dana Scully, special agent Dana Scully from the X-Files, <laughs> played by Jillian Anderson, wonderfully. Um, Dana Scully, one of my all-time favorite characters, uh, the X-Files. It's a show that I still love, honestly. I watched a lot of it recently. And, you know, it's one of those shows that we were talking about anthology shows in one of the previous episodes. And Lovecraft Country really reminds me a lot of the X-Files in a lot of ways. And because it's like, you know, it's creature of the week type stuff. There's a new monster that they have to have to do. And then the X-Files like new case. But, you know, the X-Files had two kinds of episodes. They had the monster ones and then they had the the political ones, the consp- the ones that were about like the the vast conspiracy, like with the smoking man and all that stuff. Uh, but Scully, anyway, Scully was, was I, in my opinion, the best, the better character. I mean, Mulder was definitely like the lead and and more to that Gillian Anderson, the actor, had to fight for equal pay pretty much the entire time because they were paying. And when they came back recently, she had to do it again because they were, the initial contract, they literally were paying David Duchovny twice as much, which is ridiculous. But that's why she's D-Wade because she's a first and has played a second for service of the team or the show. And she's not appreciated as much. And she's great. And Dana Scully is a great character. Someone who is kind of like the moral compass of the show. And she starts off a skeptic and a doubter. And then she becomes the one pushing the agenda and like trying to learn more and like getting into it. But anyway, D-Wade, Dana Scully. My next one is is a, is a player I've always enjoyed watching. I've mentioned before that I'm a big tennis fan, so of course I'm going to talk about tennis. And mine is uh, Jennifer Capriati. She made her pro debut at age 13, a child prodigy. She's the youngest player ever to reach a semifinal, which she did at the French Open, which is currently on right now. She's the youngest player to ever reach a final, which is at Wimbledon. She won a gold medal at age 16, but a few years later, just like most other teenagers, she got in trouble for doing teenage shit. Got arrested in 93 for shoplifting, which is probably an accident, but who knows? That was a long time ago. Also went to rehab for drug possession, and people thought that she was pretty much done by the end of the century. She got herself cleaned up. She did attempt suicide, but she was burnt out from tennis and being a star athlete, not really knowing her body is adjusting to because she started as a teenager, and she's going through puberty in front of all of her eyes and just didn't know how to handle all that stuff. But she was able to get through all of that shit and emerged in 2000 to win Wimbledon, 2001, and 2000, she won the French. She has three world titles. She retired in the in their mid-30s, but is widely regarded as one of the greatest American tennis players, if not the greatest, one of the greatest tennis players of, of all time. And she's won tournaments all over the world. And this is all after everybody thought that she was done in 1993, 94, 95, because of the stuff that she went through as a teenager. And the comp that I have for her is that Drew Barrymore, very similar sort of story. Became famous at a very, very young age. Was known to be partying at Studio 54 when she was 14. Also had a suicide attempt in her teens. But she emerged through all of that to have her own production company, to star in one of my favorite rom-coms, Never Been Kissed. <laughs> and uh, her production company has put out blockbusters like all the Charlie's Angels movies. Donnie Darko, which oddly enough, I'm not really a huge fan of, but it is what it is. It, it is, it is produced by Drew Barrymore's production company. So Jennifer Capriati, the Drew Barrymore of tennis, had a rough pass, but his damn came out on the other side of it. Is it, it is, and she's Drew Barrymore is a major player. She's yeah, gonna she, have a TV show. She's directing, and yeah, yeah, she's she's massively huge. Yeah, I'm with it. I forgot that Capriati was so young. 
when she won. She won all that stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, she didn't win it until after she went through all that stuff. Well, but when she won, when she was sixteen, and like that's yeah, crazy. she was she was on the verge of being famous, and it just just kind of didn't didn't handle it well. Relationships, drug abuse, but she, everybody thought she was done. And at twenty six, she set the world on fire, and then won like three tournaments and awesome. three majors in two years. Yeah, widely regarded as one of the greatest tennis players of all time. She was a beast. Totally awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to do my next one and I'm going to keep it with tennis because I'm also a big tennis fan and I'm going to choose Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal, who you're ta- you just said one of the best, you know, as Capriati is one of the best tennis players ever. Nadal certainly is one of the best tennis players ever. And if you want to talk about, you know, tennis doesn't specifically have playoffs, but as far as major tournaments and all, all sorts of stuff, just for some numbers here, Nadal has 19 Grand Slams and he's been in 27 Grand Slam finals. Those are both the second all time to, of course, George's guy. Roger Federer, who owns pretty much every goddamn tennis record there is. But, you know, like we were saying a couple of weeks ago about how three of the best guys play at the same time. It's crazy. But Nadal is number two on all those lists. And I want to talk about his record at the French Open. Everybody knows he's the king of clay and the French Open is played on clay and he dominates the French Open. And that is like a talking point. And like I said, everybody who is a tennis fan and who knows Nadal kind of knows that. But just to examine it a little bit, he won today, he won a semifinal earlier today, which I believe, I'm not sure, but I think Djokovic also won his semifinal. So that's going to be the final, which is going to be awesome. So Nadal all time at the French Open is 99-2 and two in matches. 99-2. and two. That's fucking insane. He's won it 12 times. And... Nadal, as far as style goes, he's one of those guys that I don't, I think he's, I have no idea about him as like a human being. I think he's probably a pretty nice guy. Who knows? But on the court, he's mean. He's got that anger. He's got that mean streak. He is kind of outward with, he takes it very seriously. He's very hard on himself. You can see it. You can see it while he plays and he plays with an aggression. And, you know, looking at him next to Federer, they both have power and they both have finesse but Federer doesn't look he's so good and so smooth that he doesn't look like he's it looks effortless in a way and Nadal to me looks like he's working his ass off but he's just like letting it go but he's he's also so focused he's so laser focused that he can focus all the power and the aggression and I love it he's he's awesome but again he works his ass off. He's mean and he's 98 and two in the French Open. He's insane. So that is why as a hero from television or film, he is the bride. Beatrix Kiddo from Kill Bill played by Uma Thurman. Honestly, like I only have a couple of things written on this note card and one of them for the bride and it's true for Nadal as well. Just pure badass. <laughs> They're both just badass. And like I said about Nadal being like mean and kind of angry, but in a focused way, that certainly is the bride. She just kills everyone. She murders everyone. <laughs> uh, she's out for revenge and she's not going to stop until she gets it. And that's definitely Nadal, laser focused. And like I said, just pure badass. Rafael Nadal is the bride of tennis. The Beatrix kiddo of tennis. Sorry, Kill Bill spoilers right there. But uh, <laughs> shout out to Uma Thurman for an amazing performance. You guys, yeah, yeah. I love we see spoilers for movies that have been out for, for years. <laughs> yeah. Like, spoiler alert to Citizen Kane. <laughs> it's the sled. <laughs> oh, shit. Rosebud. <laughs> well, this would be a good time to, for my my third one, it's like I'm going to deviate from. Uh, a little bit from the uh, the actual category and actually talk about a real life hero, not just heroic performance. Uh, my number three is one of my favorite athletes of all time, not because of stuff that he did on the field, but the stuff that he did off of it. But we're going to talk about on the field for just a moment. 
So in high school, in Baton Rouge, you won a high school 4A title in which that's easy to play quarterback, cornerback, and running back. He went to Florida State. He has one of my favorite quotes ever. Upon being asked whether or not he was going to forego his senior year to enter the draft, this uh, athlete that chose my number, one of my favorite heroes, said, and I quote, I've been poor all my life. What's one more year? He has a degree from Florida State University, which he graduated in 1997. That senior year of high school, his mother, who was an off-duty police officer, was murdered while escorting a woman to the bank to make a deposit. Those two men are on death row. And in 2007, he actually met with them, not really forgiving them of their crimes, but having had a, a conversation with them about what they did and what the effect that they had on his life. And aside from all of that, he did run for 11,000 yards, and he's a part owner of the Atlanta Falcons, but I'm going to talk about this. One of the things that he's done since he's retired, he started a nonprofit, which is called Homes for the Holidays, which is a uh, program that rewards single parent families and first time home ownership. He's assisted over 150 single parents in Atlanta, where we used to play, in Baton Rouge, where he's from, in Tampa, where he used to play, in Tallahassee, where he went to college. And one of those homes just happens to be the Sean Watsons, and that's where the Sean Watson grew up. And eventually he went to Clemson, and Deshaun Watson now plays for Houston and signed an amazing contract. And all heroes come in shapes and sizes. And again, we're not just talking about heroic efforts. We're talking about just heroic people. And uh, the person I'm talking about is Warwick Dunn. And uh, all that stuff that I've mentioned, just the fact that there's a man who lost his uh the, the his mom at age 17 was the the oldest member of his family and was able to take care of them and the fact that he was uh, able to have like a long career in the NFL and his personal life is uh is he just seems like a, a great guy and the fact that he's helped over 150 single parents find homes in three different cities he's also part owner of the Falcons and just that alone just kind of just kind of warms your heart so for me, the comp would be would have to be Oprah. Oh, he's the Oprah. <laughs> Granted, it's like he hasn't donated three hundred million dollars and that sort of thing, but he has donated a good bit of his money. Uh, and Oprah's probably one of the more like nicest people on on the face of the planet. She four hundred scholarships to Morehouse College, uh, donated twelve million to, um, and she's also um, started the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls. Now these are different scales of, of of doing any but i've always thought it was cool that worked on spent a great bit of, bit of his life looking after other people that he didn't know and one of those people just happened to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country so shout out to work done uh home for the holidays which is a great organization that's my number three that's awesome i that's awesome i didn't know a lot of that stuff about work done um i didn't know that he was part of the falcons either that's really cool. I that reminded me that I should also say I was talking about D Wade and I said that, you know, he was from outside city, city limits or, or whatever. I should also then say that he has done a tremendous amount for the city of Chicago in the community and he needs to be lauded for that and he still is doing stuff even though he doesn't live there and you know, so a lot of these people do a lot of things that we don't see and we don't know about. And that's cool. Thank you for telling us about work done. Yeah, man. Work tons and work tons of shit. Now I love that quote. I've been poor all my life. What's one more year? Yeah, that's great. And he was a really exciting player to watch. He was great. He was yeah. great. Yeah, I ran for almost 11,000 yards, which is like, which in the whole grand scheme of things, as far as like running backs go, sometimes some yards are seem to be worth more than others. Like Frank Gore is like the second leading rusher of, uh, of all time. And Frank Gore is a beast and still is a beast. But when you compare it to some other people, some 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 games are just they're just worth yeah. more than other games. Like, yeah. You put Warwick Dunn in a group with like ten other running backs, NFL running backs, and you just like looked at them and their style of play. You wouldn't necessarily think that Warwick Dunn was gonna, you know, because he's another guy that he worked for everything he got. He worked his at like he was breaking tackles and running inside outside. Yeah, Warwick Dunn. Cool. Well, I'm gonna do my next one. I'm going to do a player that just added to her trophy case and just won her fourth championship, all with the same team, Seattle Storm, and that's Sue Bird, WNBA legend Sue Bird, who's been doing this forever. She's killed it. I mean, she was a hero at UConn when they won 39 straight games, and she won national championships there. And she came out, she was the number one pick. And 
what are number one picks supposed to do? Number one picks are supposed to win championships and set records. And what does Subur do? She wins championships and sets records. Speaking of those records, she just broke her own finals record all time, most assists in a game with 16. She had 16 assists in a finals game. I mean, and they dominated that series, Seattle. Also, you know, Brianna Stewart, the MVP of that series, who was unbelievable. Another another number one pick, which is cool because Suber, it's like passing the torch from one. They drafted really fucking well. You know what I mean? If you draft those once-in-a-generation players every seven, eight years, <laughs> you're going to be a really good team. Um, and, and they are. And she won back-to-back chips. She missed a year, you know, so she kind of had – she she did have some trials and tribulations you know she's with megan rapino the soccer player who's also a fucking hero and champion awesome anyway she was the number one pick she consistently won and she did what she was supposed to do you might even call her the chosen one which is why as a hero she is neo neo from the matrix played by keanu reeves who was the chosen one (laughs) <laughs> he was supposed to be the guy and there was a little bit of a time in the movie where he's maybe he's not the guy but guess what he's the guy <laughs> he is the chosen one and uh the matrix another thing it's got longevity man it's got longevity good the, the first one the second two the other two whatever but i'm interested in the new one that's going to come out and i think that it's cool and, and like i said it still holds up today and it, it even takes more me. I mean, I, I, I constantly feel like we we're in a blue pill, red pill situation <laughs> um, in so many different ways. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it still holds up. And, you know, Keanu as Neo, you got to love that. I think C bird has also won nine titles overseas and four gold medals. So yes, C-Bird. she's won gold medals. She's won titles overseas. She's incredible. One of the best basketball players the, the, in history. The joke talk is, is super, basically. Like, no, she's the best. Yeah, well, yeah. It's like you can't... I, you we're, can't compare errors. No, and, and we're going to have to have this conversation again forever, especially if the Lakers end up winning tonight and they win a championship. Deservedly so. And, and like, the reason I... Part of the reason I didn't like LeBron early on is be, it's not because of him. It's because of the media and everybody... And and they want to, you know, compare him to Jordan. And it's not fair. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to Jordan. They're different players. It was a different era. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. Um, and, I'll, you know, maybe the reason I didn't like him, too, is that he did kind of lean into that. I do think he wanted to be compared to Jordan for a while. And then he was kind of like, nah, I'm, I'm tired of it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, super one of the greatest ever. One of the greatest basketball players. I mean, she's she's a legend. That's why she's Neo. So my last two are going to be very, very Washington, D.C. heavy. I was trying to pick out an order of how I wanted to do this. Which one do I, which five of the five that I start off with and which I was going to go with. But as long as the last two were D.C. ones, and I am wearing a 2018 Stanley Cups baseball cap. This person I'm going to talk about, I'm only going to talk about his heroic efforts for that one season, the season that they won the Stanley Cups, because before that, the Capitals are known to be choking dogs, as Tony Kornheiser used to call them. (laughs) Tony Kornheiser referenced in two weeks, so we probably switch it up. This person did not start the first two games of that epic run for the Caps, and with those two games, they lost, the Columbus Jackets. And then he started, he then started the rest of the, uh, the playoff run. And in that playoff run, they beat... Columbus, which they don't really have any history with, but they were down to nothing and they were the number one seed. They win the next four. The next series is against the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that we've always not played well against in the playoffs. And they kind of own us and they won that four three. And in the next series against Tampa Bay, another series, another team that we don't really play well against, but they also are known to be chokers too. Shout out to Lightning for actually winning at the chirp. And we won that series four three after being down three two, after being down to Pittsburgh three one. And, of course, they win the Stanley Cup against the Vegas Knights, a team that we have no history with and the reason why we were able to beat them 4-1. to one. In those games, this person was 16-7, and seven, a winning percentage of 9-22. And, granted, we're just talking about that 2018 run. And odd enough today, he is no longer a cap. He just got signed by the Canucks. So I wish him Godspeed because this person did bring a title to D.C. 
the first title in DC, the first title in Caps history, but the first title to the actual district since 1992, and that is Mr. Braden Holpe. And because Braden Holpe was a bit of a one-hit wonder, I'm going to give him a one-hit wonder reference. And my comp for him is the album Give Up by the Postal Service, a record that came out in 2003 with a ton of great hits, but the only record that they made and the only record they'll ever make. And as much as I would love to see Braden Holpe win another title, needs to say, I don't think it's going to happen. And as much as I love that record, they're never going to make another Postal Service record. So shout out to Postal Service, whose album with Jimmy Tamborella and uh, Ben Gibbert, 2003, is one of the biggest sellers in sub pop. That includes Bleach by Nirvana. And with the hits like District Six Alone Tonight, Such Great Heist, We Become Silhouettes, Pitchfork rated one of the, the 104th record, top 200 albums of the 2000s. The one album wonder, Give Up. By the Postal Service, Brain Hopi, 2018. You were the man. The years before that, who knows? <laughs> you weren't the man. <laughs> you had a rough, had a rough go, but this, this past season was a tough hang. But Brain Hopi, Godspeed, and you'll always be my Postal Service gift. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't think about sports or athletics when I was when I'd be listening to the Postal Service. But I like that you you uh, brought that together. I actually worked. I worked on a on a couple of films and, and TV shows for uh, his girlfriend at the time, Jimmy Tamborello's girlfriend at the time, and I met him a few times. He is one of the nicest fucking people. I'll just age nicely, just like just like Holby's performance. That that performance is going to age nicely. And he's still doing music. He does music under the name of Dintel, D N T E L, and he's really cool, like ambient stuff. It's very interesting. Um, Awesome. Well, I'm up next. I'm going to go with my second to last. I'm also going to do somewhat sentimental one for me. And also someone who, when I say his name, people will be like, what the fuck? That guy's not a playoff hero, but he had a thing. He did a thing. And this is a guy who he signed a big contract and he was, he's been judged by that contract. When you sign a big contract, we have this thing in sports where we're like, well, this guy has to be this good for this money, even though it's like money that we have nothing to do with as fans, you know what I mean? Or even the pundits and stuff. It's like, it's bullshit. It's whatever. These guys should get paid whatever they can get paid. That's the bottom line. The players should always get as much money as they possibly should. And if they don't perform, they don't perform. It sucks. Too bad. You know, get over it. (laughs) Uh, But he is one of those guys and he's gotten shit, but he's gotten shit because of his contract. And the public kind of turned against him and Chicago definitely is a place where that happens. <laughs> and especially with this team, which is the Chicago Cubs, because everything is very heightened. And especially before they won, everything is very heightened. Every Like the reason, you know, there was a curse when the Cubs didn't win for 108 years or whatever. And, you know, anybody not in Chicago or didn't have the history with the team can just be like, oh, it's a curse. It's silly. You know, it's a curse or whatever. The reason why people truly believed that there was a curse, because shit that would happen to the Cubs, the ways that they would find to lose would be things that will like never happen again. You know, they have like black cat shit and like Steve Bartman and all this shit. And, you know, it's again, but the thing, the thing is, is that it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because Steve Bartman is a perfect example. Steve Bartman was doing exactly what everybody else in the whole area was doing, what anybody sitting in that seat would have been done. The real culprits was the team. Moises Alou caused the fit, and then Alex Gonzalez booted the ball. And the point is, is that like they put the city and the media and everybody put so much pressure on them. They put so like every time they're there, it's like even in the playoffs or have a somewhat decent team in the regular season, the Chicago media and national media is like, they're going to break the curse. They're going to do it. They're going to do it this year. They're going to break it. So those guys are like, when something goes bad, it just snowballs because they can't come back from it, you know, mentally. And that's not overlooked, but this is a guy who brought them back and they won in 2016. They won their, they finally won. They did it, their championship. I was in Chicago for it. It, the only word I can use to describe the, the mood after they won was is euphoria. I mean, it was, it was also kind of terrifying, <laughs> but uh, it was amazing. And that guy is Jason Hayward. And Jason Hayward 
is a guy who the Cubs gave a huge, huge contract to. And they gave him that contract based on like advanced metrics and all this shit that we talk about now in that they thought that he was going to enter a stretch where he was, you know, one of the best players in the league. And he was a guy that was going to be hitting 330 home runs, 100 RBIs and playing gold glove defense. And that didn't really happen. However, he's been a good player. He's, he's won a gold glove. He's won two gold gloves with the Cubs. He's won a gold glove five times. He's one of the best right fielders in the game in the past 30 years. And he's got a great arm. He's a really good baseball player. Those first two years, he was really maligned because he came in with this big contract. He didn't hit. He did not look good. It kind of snowballed. It was, you know, all the pressure was on him, all the attention, and he didn't perform well. And people shit on him. But in that series, in in that, that World Series, the Cubs are up three runs with the closer, Aroldis Chapman, on the mound. And they blow the lead and tie the game. And it goes to extra innings. And there's a rain delay. There's a rain delay that lasts for 17 minutes. And that 17 minutes will forever live in Chicago lore. Because in that 17 minutes, Jason Hayward, who never spoke in front of the team, never called team meetings, was not a guy who liked to talk, was a guy who led by example, a guy who just went to work. And, you know, even when all the pressure was on him, he didn't make it about him. He just went to work. He just, you know, and but he called this meeting. He told them we're the best team in the league. We've been the best team in the league since day one. You can't let that bullshit get to them. Like, yeah, we we were winning and we're not now, but it's tied. We can, you know, we're not out of it. We're still in it. We can do this. And the rain cleared (laughs) and they went back on the field. And the Cubs scored two runs and they won. And, and and as far as I'm concerned, Jason Hayward is, you know, responsible as much as anyone is responsible. And as much as certainly as much as Steve Barton was responsible for, you know, those that the uh, the collapse in 2003. You know what I mean? It's like it's all nonsense. But again, a guy that kind of was underground for a bit, but he came out and he used his speech to motivate and talk. So as a hero, that's why he's V for V from Vendetta. (laughs) Because although V may use more words than Jason Hayward, someone who (laughs) is about the message, you know, his actions support his message. But if you watch the movie, it's really long. Like it takes place over a long course of time and he doesn't do that much. It's more of like the seed he sows in the country. You know, it's, it's a really interesting movie. I think it's a movie that people don't give enough credit to as far as like, you know, I mean, we see all these Marvel movies and give me 10 fucking V for Vendettas before you give me another Marvel movie. I see Wachowski references, The Matrix and V for Vendetta. Yeah, it's it's good, man. It's really good. And like I said, I think it's better than, than it gets credit for. And also like the Guy Fox mask is like a symbol. It's become a symbol. I mean, Anonymous uses it and it's like, it's a whole thing. And Jason Hayward's speech it's like a symbol for like the breaking of the curse. It is. It's like there have been, I don't know this for, there've been articles written about this 17 minute speech. And I don't know this for a fact, but if there aren't now, they're going to be, there are like entire books written about this fucking speech. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like, he's going to be, again, this is a guy who won two gold gloves with the team. And now he's producing pretty well offensively, but he's going to be known in Chicago for the rest of his goddamn life for giving that fucking speech, pulling and in Cleveland, a progressive field or whatever the fuck bullshit corporate name they have for that stadium, took the players out of the dugout into the clubhouse and said, we're having a fucking meeting right now and got them focused. And, you know, they won because of him. And the, uh, you know, like I said, he's not, you don't even, it's Hugo Weaving and you don't even know that it's Hugo Weaving half the time. Uh, But uh, yeah, so Jason Hayward is V for V from Vendetta, an overlooked Really <laughs> All right. Well, that brings me to my last one. Is my cat is jumping up and down over here? I'm gonna paint a picture here. It's 1987. A young good friend is nine years old, and he's watching his favorite sports team play in the Super Bowl. And I'm in the fourth grade, and it's second down, and we're already down ten nothing. And uh, my favorite player gets hurt. Takes the playoff. They call timeout. Jay Schrader goes in. I'm sorry, he gets hurt on first down. 
He's like, I'm going to be okay. Goes out, goes back out there on third down. It's third and 10. He unleashes an 80-yard bomb to Ricky Sanders. The score is now 10-7, to starting off the biggest quarter in Super Bowl history in which they scored 35 points. It was 35-10 at halftime. The score, final score ended up being 42-10. to but We're going to talk about the history before we get to that point. Person finished fourth in the Heisman Trophy. In 1978, he was drafted in the first round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And when he was drafted, he was the lowest paid quarterback in the NFL, making $120,000. 12 other quarterbacks were paid more than him, and they were backups. He left the uh, NFL because I like, uh, thought he should have been making more money at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He thought he wanted at least to make half a million dollars. The owner said, I don't think so. Left to go play in the SFL. And from that season on till the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did not have a winning season for the next like 15 years, I guess this person put a curse on them as he was leaving town. He is, uh, it's, it's, as much as we, we, we look at the Lamar Jacksons and the Russell Wilsons and the Deshaun Watsons and uh, uh, old boy from a place in Kansas City, there was, there was a black quarterback before that who won a Super Bowl ring. And the guy I'm talking about is my favorite hero of all time, which is Doug Williams. And he's got one of one of my favorite quotes ever in sports upon media day and everything that had to, to him leading up to the Super Bowl and being the first black quarterback to, to start in the Super Bowl, him for being first black quarterback to actually play in one, all the stuff that was leading up to it, it was let's just call it, it was undeniably racist. Just the things yeah. that the things that were being asked him is like, and one of the questions that was asked in media day was, "How long have you been a black quarterback?" And his response was, "Was like, I've been a quarterback since high school. I've been black all my life." What the <laughs> fuck is that question? Like, God, it's, he did come out and say, like, in 2013, I found out it is, that story is true. And he said he had, he felt no ill will towards the reporter because it was he was trying to ask something that he didn't really know how to ask, and it just came out wrong. But he's and Doug Lindsay said it's like I have no ill will towards that reporter. He was very uncomfortable asking me questions about race when he should just been asking me about football, which is what. Undeniable thing about that. But I wish his career had been a little bit longer. The injuries caught up to him. But for one moment, one moment in time, and he's got one of my favorite highlights ever when the score is like uh, 42 to 10. Is, uh, and you see him in his, uh, I'm getting, I'm actually getting emotional just thinking about it. You see him on the, on the, on the, on the sidelines and he gives like uh, Rika Sanders like just to, just to, just to dap up. And I'm like nine years old and I'm like super excited that like you could reach the heights of uh, sports that way. So, Doug Williams uh, is a hero, will be a hero of mine for the rest of my life. And uh, he is uh, Virgil Tibbs from uh, In the Heat of the Night. Um, Virgil Tibbs has got that great line in the movie in which they, uh, it's like uh, Virgil is a pretty fancy name for a colored person where they call you back home is like they call me Mr. Tibbs. And that's how I feel about Doug Williams. He, uh, it's funny, I'm like, I don't get emotional about anything, but just anything, any, anything about Doug Williams gets me, gets me, gets me excited. So, uh, yeah, he, his career is, uh, he'll, he'll never, I guess, like, uh, be known in the history of like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But for that moment in, in January, he, uh, he was the best. So, Doug Williams, the hero of mine. I don't think Doug Williams gets mentioned enough. Someone that we don't, yeah, it's like he, he won a Super Bowl. You know, he was a man. Um, he, was, he was a man for me. Yeah, and ha- and you know that. Yeah, that's the least of what he had to deal with was that question. So he yeah. certainly is someone we should we should look at. And George, it's okay to be emotional. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. You know, sports transcends because that's why it means so much to us. Uh, because you can see it's a microcosm. Yeah, and uh, you know things that we go through these guys go through too yeah no he uh he just first he just one of those people that like uh whatever i guess they get they put in front of him in front of him he was able to just overcome and he overcome them with class uh and it's something you don't see a lot of that like people are just uh when things will happen like his wife uh his wife died during his his first year in the nfl she had an aneurysm and she she passed away. And rather than like the, he just he was able to do everything without letting him let, letting it show that like it bothered him. And as much as it bothered him, like being asked those ridiculous questions and Jimmy the Greek talking about black athletes and just uh, he was just able to overcome it. And like while he was getting drafted, he was getting he was in school to, uh, to get a master's because uh, he was one of the he was he's 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 just he's a hero that transcends a lot. And uh, he was a man. 
again, he'll never be known as like the greatest quarterback of all time. Didn't have the great numbers, and they only played really for like a handful of seasons. But for one moment in time, he was he was the man. And nobody will ever say that they scored thirty five points in the second quarter of a Super Bowl. That's insane. That's insane. Through four touchdown passes in one quarter. That's insane. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And and also in the heat of the night. That movie is still relevant. I mean, that movie is fantastic. Good. It's that good. Movie is I so good. It's good. Uh, so did I. And, and uh, Sidney Portier as Mr. Tibbs. Just handle everything with class. And- I was actually thinking about Virgil Tibbs, too, but I'm glad that you you used him. You used that character. Great character. All right. Well, I'm going to do my last one and someone that we don't have to get sentimental about. Because <laughs> he belongs to a team that we don't like, <laughs> but, he, but he still needs to be. He, we still need to talk about him because that guy, that team, of course, that I'm talking about is the New York Yankees, which I do not like. George does not like. I would say you kind of have to be from New York to like them, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, whatever. But uh, but the, the guy I want to talk about is Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera, the closer for the New York Yankees. Now, if I say Mariano Rivera, if you say the name, everyone knows how great of a closer he was. I mean, he's the best closer ever, right? Or, you know, top three, top two, whatever. Best closer ever. Everybody knows he's good in the playoffs. But if you look at his numbers in the playoffs, you could make a case that Mariano Rivera is the best playoff athlete in the history of sports. So. You're talking about a guy who normally pitches one or two innings at a time. In the playoffs, he pitched 141 innings. So that's insane. Pretty much his whole career, he was in the playoffs. And his numbers in the playoffs, in those 141 innings, where, again, they won multiple championships, are so good that they seem to be impossible. They seem to be impossible. And those are... His record, one loss, which, you know, isn't what closer is measured by, but is eight and one. And he had 42 saves in 141 innings, 42 saves in the playoffs. That's insane right there. He had a 0.70 ERA. That's unbelievable. In 141 innings, he gave up two home runs, two in 140 innings. So like, once every six years in the playoffs, he's given up a home run. I mean, it's insane. He gave up 21 walks in 141 innings and 110 strikeouts. So he's generally striking out almost a guy in inning and not giving up a base runner in most innings. And he had, I don't think he ever walked more than three guys in an entire playoff run. So he doesn't walk anyone with a 0.70 ERA. He's not giving up runs. He's not giving up hits. He's incredible. He's maybe the best playoff performer all time. So I got to go with, you know, someone who plays on a team that I don't love. And I don't even know if I love him, but he's got it. He might be the best hero of all time. That's Ethan Hunt. He's Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible. (laughs) You want to talk about wild stuff that seems impossible? Ethan Hunt is your man (laughs) and Tom Cruise who plays him. I mean, I think Tom Cruise gets off on like, he's still, I saw, I think you, I think we sent it to each other, but I saw a clip on Instagram of like the new mission impossible. You might've sent it to me where this man is like jumping off a cliff and pulling his own ripcord, like way, uh, like what the fuck are you doing? Tom Cruise, you're worth millions of dollars. What are you doing? Oh my God. Um, but he's got a flair for the dramatic. He always, in those movies too, like they always make things so difficult on each other. And he's like, jump, he's literally jumping from like a helicopter to like a plane. Like he's just doing like ridiculous, impossible shit. But the great thing about Ethan Hunt and the thing about that's true about Mariano Rivera also is even though they're doing this wild shit, they're totally calm. Ethan Hunt, is like totally calm. He like it doesn't even break a sweat. He jumps off a cliff in onto the a uh, moving plane and he's just like it's Tuesday. 
know that? <laughs> uh, yeah, so wild shit that seems totally impossible, but somehow they get it done. Mariano Rivera is the Ethan Hunt of playoff heroes. I say, yeah, that. I don't know. I'll give a fuck. I like those movies. They're so stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not like, I definitely, there was a point where I was like, fuck that stupid bullshit. But especially in the last few years, yo, it's so much fun. They are so much fun. And honestly, I think the first one is a pretty good movie because it's pretty understated and mm-hmm. Jean Reno is fucking awesome. And um, yeah, Mia, Mia Sarah, or is it uh, the, the oh, other? I one? wish it was Mia Sarah. No, uh, Natasha <laughs> Mikulon. Natasha yeah. Mikulon. Yeah, I, get, I get the two of them very confused. They look somewhat similar. Mia Sarah. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, um, uh, um, yeah. But. So yeah, that first one was good. And then the one that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the villain in, oh my God, he's unbelievable. Uh, but even like the last two or whatever, like they're just so, like I said, he's jumping from a plane to a motorcycle. Like he, you know what I mean? It's it's like, come on, you gotta. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't make any sense. Like he, no, so there was, he jumped, he, he jumped out of a plane uh, and I was in the theater in IMAX. I thought I was going to have a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> oh man what did he just do no thank you anyway that's it all right so that uh that does it for uh the who and the what yeah playoff heroes yeah that was a good one shout out to my uncle luther for buying me that doug williams t-shirt uh <laughs> me those t-shirts with like the head was like really big and the body was really small yeah i had one of those awesome <laughs> yeah cool the next day after the super bowl win um uh let's go and wrap this thing up it's like what are you looking forward to this weekend all right. Well, what I'm looking forward to is uh, more interesting, innovative stuff that is a product of our times right now. I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about like closures of, of restaurants and, and schools, and I'm not going to really talk about that right now. Um, but, you know, we've been closing stuff. And my point is that we're going to still continue with all of our businesses and everything. We're going to continue to have to think about how to change the model and, and do things a little differently and, and, George actually said something to me a few weeks ago that has stuck with me. And I really, I want to repeat it, which is that you said, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but something like you're a firm believer of be who you are and not who you have been, which, you know, if, if you'll allow me, I interpreted as like, you know, yeah, we have to be in, be in the now and, and think about how we can make this work. And, and like be do, you know, what is working now, as opposed to how you did things before and like trying to accentuate that. And, you know, we, I talked about on the show, but we went to the film festival, the New York film festival that's doing screenings. And, and we saw the Steve McQueen film. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but I just want to say the experience as a whole was really cool. It's not perfect. It's not, it doesn't replicate being in a movie theater doing, doing a drive-in. And also, you know, it is a little bit, you have to have a car to do it, which is sucks and is exclusionary and, you know, got to figure out maybe some, some, some way to kind of get around that somehow, you know, we are, we have one. So we were lucky enough to be able to, to go. And it's really cool. The whole experience is cool. You're out there on the pier, you see the skyline, the sun is setting, there's a screen. It's really cool. It was packed. It was full when at the end of the movie and at the beginning during like an intro instead of clapping which people are in their cars nobody can hear uh everybody honks their horns and i'll tell you hearing like a whole crowded lot of people honking their horns at the end of the movie and like honking our horn it was awesome and it made me feel really good and and cool and like yeah we can still see movies and we can still do this stuff we're just we just have to think about it in a different way and and i think that you know that's something to watch and, and continue to to nurture and and think about I also want to talk about as far as looking forward to the movie a little bit, because it's part, it was a Steve McQueen movie. Um, the one that we saw is called red, white, and blue, but it is a part of the five part anthology series called small Axe that is, I believe coming to Amazon later this month. Um, first of all, the title is awesome. It's named after the Bob Marley song, which if you don't know the lyrics to that song are applicable as they ever were, which is if you are the big tree, we are the small axe, sharpened to cut you down, ready to cut you down. 
because the movie is about the Jamaican and West Indian neighborhood in London during the 60s through the 80s, and they all tell different stories. And I'm really looking forward to the rest of it after seeing the one. We kind of saw the one, I think, that falls at the very end. And I think I even mentioned to you, it's not the one that I would probably put first. I mean, we didn't, I didn't really know when we bought the tickets, I didn't really know a, that much about Small Axe. We were just kind of, we wanted to have the experience and see, and I love Steve McQueen and I want, wanted to see a Steve McQueen film, but I'm, after seeing it, I'm excited to see the others. And, and I think that as a whole, it's going to be a really interesting project. And John Boyega is fantastic. And it's based on a true story and the real person was a consultant on the movie so you know there's some authenticity there and yeah it's cool i'm looking forward to the rest of it small acts look out for it and film festivals and shit that we can do outside even though it's going to get cold we're going to have to fucking figure it out somehow <laughs> what's uh what are you looking forward to george so i live alone i don't like to cook i don't like to do dishes and it's probably best that I not get food delivered. So I got a, I got a food box in the middle. It's my second of, of com- two companies that I've tried. This is Freshly, Freshly food boxes. <laughs> they just pop in the oven. They're like made by chefs or something, whatever. So uh, I think over the course of the next few months, I'll be trying different food boxes. And we're going to shout them out at the, at the end of each episode. It was like, how was the food box from this company? But I got a food box that came in today from, from Freshly. So I'm going to see how those are. And uh, I know because it's tough to do like a whole meal prep for one person, especially if you work four nights a week and you work in a, a, a place that's, that gives you food for free. So I'm trying to limit the times that I'm not working, eating out. So I'm like saving money. So I'm eating food boxes. The one last month is good, but too much work. It's too much prep. Yeah, I'm inter- I we don't usually use them, you know, we're two, so it it's a little bit different. But yeah, I, I definitely understand your your plight there. Uh, yeah, um, like- yeah, I'm interested to know which ones are you you like. Uh I was I'm I was going to say the the best one is the one that wants to advertise with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, shout out to them. But like, you know, I have talked to and I think we we got one once we had like a friend who had one but was going out of town and couldn't receive it or something like that. So we got it. And it was, was it good? good? It was good. I mean, you know, I, they're not bad. No, I, I think company I've tried. I think it's pretty smart that they do things in individual portions. You know what I mean? Because that's right. even a problem for us. I mean, at like sixty bucks a week, it's better than going to groceries. That's not bad. I mean, how many meals are they providing with that? There's there's four for sixty bucks. That's not bad. And yeah, you're getting like a lot of your other meals at work. So you're- yeah, so it, it works out to like, so it's like, it's meant for two people because there isn't just a one person. Yeah. It's two people for four meals. So in essence, it really should be eight meals because it's four, I'm getting four dishes. Yeah, that's true. That are meant for two people. So in essence, it's eight meals, which is 60 bucks a week. The, 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 you just, you got to make sure that you don't eat the whole meal. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a problem. I'm going to put this out there in the world right now that I don't, and this may exist. I honestly don't know, but there should be one for single people. (laughs) Like there should be one for fucking single people because I agree. Like if I was single, that would be like, you know, I love to cook, but if I was single and working in a restaurant, like you are like, I, there's only so much energy you have, like you, you know, and especially when you're getting your meals and you're going, you know, it's a culture where you're going to go out and all that's not, quite happy you know, right now but... it's like it's like getting home at like 10 30 and then like doing a food prep is just not something i want to do i mean like home and just like throwing something in the oven it's insane yeah like i now we're talking hillary my my fiance was she worked at a camp last year and she was not uh in the house for a lot of the summer and i i was by myself and i'd be working and you know because i'm such a a weird night owl or, or was at least when I was working, I, I did have like a couple of weeks where I did a thing where I would be cooking full meals at like two in the morning, <laughs> but it's not sustained. And, and I just kind of like, I was like, I'm doing this. She, like, I got to, I'm going to fend for myself. I'm going to do this. I'm doing it. 
So I'm like frying things at like 2.30 in the morning and shit and sweating <laughs> after like a night of work. But, you know, it was fun for like a week or two, but it's not sustainable. No, you can't and, do that every night. No. And, and uh, yeah, I think there should be one for single people. There there might be. If there is one, somebody, you know, yeah, let, let us know. Pop in the oven. Yeah, something that's low work, and but still like healthy and good and not, exactly. you know, not like ordering the pizza, which is great. But like if you do that, you know, t- once a week or whatever, like it's not, it's going to gonna take a toll in your wallet and on your health. Yeah. Anything else uh, in the world of what George Gordon is eating right now? <laughs> uh, I ate a lot of dumplings last night. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the dumplings get, get eaten a lot in the George Gordon house. That's another thing. I probably just had, like dumplings. That, that... I, if I were single, I'd probably be eating a lot of dumplings. So many fucking dumplings. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Especially I live you know, very close to Sunset Park. I mean, so do you. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Episode 10. Wow. We didn't treat that like a milestone, but <laughs> I don't know if it is one. But <laughs> what the way till like 20. Then yeah. We'll start, then we'll start celebrating. Hey, man, we, I said it earlier, but time is a construct, man. I know, right? It's all arbitrary. <laughs> um, all right, y'all. Everybody uh, stay safe and healthy. Uh, wear your mask and don't forget to register to vote. Yes. All right. We're out. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet.